you like my shoes? Where's whose shoes? Alright, well, good morning, dear friends. Welcome this morning. Alright, 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 alright. Find a seat. This is my circus. These are my monkeys. That's it. <laughs> Make your way to the dancing section in the rear. It's like that moment in Jurassic Park where they realize all the pieces are down and they've lost control. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Sarah, welcome back. Um, for announcements this morning, <clears throat> Tuesday night, we are continuing our, <laughs> act like y'all know each other, um, <laughs> we're continuing our uh, summer hiatus, which was somewhat accidental, but honestly, uh, probably what we should have done in the first place. Um, but Annie and I are out of town, so we're, we're headed to see her parents, uh, so please don't go to my house, and if you see someone at my house, call someone. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, Phil, what are we doing Wednesday? Later. Uh, movie night? Hey! What are we watching? Charleston Heston. I don't know, right? <laughs> the Ten Commandments. Oh, oh man. Man. I'm sorry you're gonna miss it. The Ten Commandments and then her back-to-back. If y'all don't know, the Ten Commandments was Annalise's favorite movie, literally, for like, Ten years of your childhood. No, it was like two or three years, but yeah, around for early elementary school. That was my jam. She's not the same anymore since they changed all the characters. Um, well, welcome, y'all. I uh, I do want to call us to worship. So let's let's pray and get started. Um, and so let's collect our our thoughts and our hearts as we come before the Lord, Father God. Lord, thank you for this time that we can come together. Lord, and think about your things and worship you. Lord, my time is so scattered these days and my attention. I, I just praise you whenever I have a moment, whenever it's facilitated with childcare and people leading worship, God, just to come before you, unscattered, uh, God, in worship. Because you're worthy. God, I pray that you would help us leave behind Arguments that we've had this week, God, uh, leave behind distractions, stressors. Um, God, I have been so stressed and anxious this week because, as uh, Josh and I were talking about this morning, Lord, I, I haven't given it over to you. Lord, and so I pray that we would uh, come before you today uh, in your grace and mercy in worship. Lord, and we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good morning, 
like coffee. It can never suffice. Yeah. The one should live on forever and never see the grave. When we look at the wise and die, we can go together and leave the rough brothers. The graves are their homes forever. The for all generations. And they name their land, and they name the land their own. Most of my body is home. We are like the animals that perish. Amen.
so much for your amazing grace and mercy, your immense love for us, your willingness to, to sacrifice to pay a price that we could not. We thank you for your son. And God, as the word is proclaimed this morning, I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds and be with us. Because you're an amazing father and friend. We ask all these things in your name. suggest if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will probably bring you one. It's like 80%. Um, Proverbs chapter 13. We have been in a series through the book of Proverbs for several weeks now. Uh, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And wisdom is different from information. We, we have more information in today's world than we could possibly ask for or take in or even read through. But wisdom is not information. Wisdom is knowing what really to value in life and how to live and what gives our life meaning and purpose. And we have precious little of that. Perhaps more than anything, what we need is not the information of our day, but the wisdom of times and places of days other than our own to help us break free from the common ideas and behaviors which have so shaped our culture. Old ideas, ideas like joviality and fortune and prudence Solomon wrote the Proverbs and says wisdom isn't hiding. He says that God is proclaiming and revealing it from every corner of creation. It's just that in this life, it's, it's hard to know what to believe. Who can you trust to know the truth? Who can you trust to speak the truth? How can we live in such a way that won't leave us empty and alone, that won't leave us on the wrong side of history and regretting what we've done? The past couple of weeks, we talked about the power of speech. A proud word can burn a bridge, can tear apart a relationship, but humble wisdom builds people up. It builds families up. And the things wisdom builds endure. This morning, we're going to allow Solomon to speak from the ancient past into specifically our families. Our families, we're going to look specifically at parents and children in that relationship. Uh, there's a lot of good advice in this book about how to raise up the next generation. So pray with me briefly and we'll look at it. Father God, Lord, I pray that regardless of what I say this morning, Lord, that you would show each of us here your truth and your word today. Lord, because your truth will set us free and we desperately long to be free. I pray this in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen. Biblically speaking, Raising up children is something that we are all called to do. Not that everyone has kids of their own. I, I love and pray for many couples bearing the pain of, of maybe wanting children and being unable to have them. And I, I also celebrate singleness as a gift. Uh, Jesus was single, for example, and the apostle Paul. Uh, but they were both very concerned about teaching, loving, pouring into, raising up, preserving the earth for the next generation. 
What I'm saying is the Bible teaches that children are a blessing and should be cared for by the whole community. In your time, in, in your efforts, in your money, invest in what comes after you. Your life is short. And so instead of doing things that preserve, benefit our lives, we should be looking to do things which tie into God's eternal work in building his kingdom. It's something, biblically speaking, we should all do. So this wisdom, whoever you are this morning, applies to you. This is a sermon for another day because it's a, a major theme that I haven't touched on before, but Proverbs rails against the kind of anti-social behavior which is common and even celebrated in our society, of focusing on your own life, your pleasure, your ambitions, to the exclusion of your family and the rest of society. It's not wise to live your life just for you or just for your tribe. But if that's you this morning, there is grace and peace enough for you in Christ and a path back to wisdom in your life if you're willing to walk it. Thinking about parenting all week, of course, I was thinking about my own parenting, which leaves something to be desired if I am to tell you the truth this morning. Yo, listen, I, I was a really good parent before I had any kids. I had it all figured out. My kids were not going to throw any tantrums. Uh, they were going to be polite all the time, even, even when they didn't nap and dinner is taking just like 30 minutes longer than it should, you know. Um, before I was parenting at 2 a.m., um, you know, I was going to be cool, calm, and collected in responding to that child shouting, be it a sick child or just a complaining child who's bored at 2 in the morning and decided to wake me up about it. I was a really good parent before I had any kids. You hear this all the time because it's real, but there is no manual and childhood goes very fast. I have never been so unsure about my performance in something than I am unsure about how I'm doing as a parent. On my bad days, I think to myself this, this is what they will talk about in therapy this day today. But even on good days, I'm not sure if I'm parenting well. And at the same time, I have never wanted so badly to be good at something. I am desperate for good advice on parenting. And you get a lot of advice on parenting, a lot of it's unsolicited, and please stop. Um, but not all of it is good. And I am desperate for good advice on parenting. And there's more out there than I could possibly take in, but who do you listen to? What do you believe? Like, I want to meet Brene Brown's kids, right? And just see how they're doing out there in the world. Or like James Dobson's kids, these people who have built their whole careers on parenting. Like, how did their kids turn out? Um, and then when I say that, like, even when I think about, like, gauging how their kids turned out, I think about, what would I even be looking for? Like, what is success? I mean, complete this sentence, right? I'll know I've been successful as a parent when dot, dot, dot. Like, what's the end of that sentence? When all my kids have successful careers? Uh, no, I've met those parents, though. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be one of them, but I've met them. Uh, you know, the, the kids are going between private tutors and, and school and violin practice and gymnastics, and that's when they're two years old, right? Um, learning Mandarin. By, by 15, they're, they're through college and on their second marriage, and drinking too much and smoking a pack a day, you know? More in New Orleans, I run into the opposite of that kind of parent. Uh, this is the big easy, right? We live in an easy kind of way. We have a lot of free spirits here. Uh, some people's kids have never heard the word no. 
Like, uh, they have a tantrum, they punch their sister in the face, sister's crying, and mom's over here getting, like, a weighted blanket and a copy of Dr. King's letters from prison, and they're going to drink chamomile tea and talk about nonviolence, right? Um, I think most parents waver somewhere between those two extremes, though. And we're just talking about discipline. Discipline is not the only perplexing part of parenting. Honestly, honestly, I, I spend more time as a parent dealing with my own bad behavior than with theirs. We were talking a couple weeks ago about the power of our words. What about the words we say to our children? I still have vivid memories of my parents saying certain things to me and the ways that they've shaped my life. What will my children remember about what it was like growing up in my household and in my church? Then there's the whole existential piece of parenting, right? Like every parent wants their child to be happy, eudaimonia, thriving, you know? I ask myself questions of, am I, am I really spending enough time with them? Does she know that I love her? Are we making good memories? Is she going to be ready for life in the world as cruel as this world can be? And is there anything I can do to, to set them up for not experiencing some of the pain and the hardship in it that I've personally experienced and that I've seen? Parents want their kids to be happy. I, I have never met a single person who truly and honestly wished their parents ill. And I say that in as a foster parent, like even, even seeing some of the worst breakdowns in our region, in our city, of this parent-child relationship, I still have never met a parent who wished their child ill. I have met parents that didn't really know what to do, that didn't know how to express their own hurt and brokenness. Um, but usually, pretty much broadly across the board, parents are doing the best they can with the tools that they have, which is part of the crushing reality of being a parent, is that you understand that your best maybe is not good enough. The only good father is God himself. And you know that truth deeply the moment you start parenting. I remember the day I became a parent. For me, uh, fostering, it, it wasn't the, the typical you know, you get home and your wife is smiling at you and you're like, what? Um, I, we had, I, I had a crib sitting in my spare bedroom for like six months before we ever had a use for it. And then I'm at work on a Thursday, not really expecting anything. And I got a call from our home development worker and all she says is, we have a child who's coming to care, he's two years old, um, yes or no? And so I, then I called Annalise and, and we were we were a yes and we talked about it and, and then I went and asked my boss if I could come, go, go home 30 minutes early, right? And I, I got home and about 10 minutes after that there was a child in our house walking through the door with this social worker who told us, hey, I think he likes spaghetti. And then she handed us a, a book bag of things for him and then kind of clapped her hands and said, well, Thanks, see y'all later. <laughs> oh, Lord. And then we had a two-year-old. And people always talk about fostering being a, a good deed, right? Uh, that, that is not my experience of it at all, and I don't think that's most people's experience of it. I'll tell you right now, it's definitely not how you feel about it when you're going through. You feel the weight of being the only person 
who is able to give this child the one thing that they need most deeply right now, which is a nourishing, loving caregiver in the name of Christ. And you feel that you're not able to do that. God is love, and God is who this child needs at this moment. And I desperately feel my lack of being God-like, Christ-like. I remember the first time something I did triggered a flashback, and, and one of my children just stopped breathing. And it was for like 60 seconds, which, when you think about it, is a really long time for a child not to breathe. And I'm sitting there thinking this whole time, I am not who this child needs in this moment to heal. And I confess that to you this morning to tell you that I'm preaching on Proverbs and parenting, but it's not from a position of feeling like I have things figured out. It's not from a position of believing myself to be any kind of expert. It's from a position of being not an expert, but a pilgrim. I have found in these verses something good to actually help me in the midst of all my mistakes and all the noise of the world. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Our chapter this morning has probably the most controversial piece of biblical advice for parenting. So me being an Enneagram 8, so let's start there, right? Um, <laughs> thank you, someone got that joke. Chapter 13, verse 24, says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Let's start by saying that the point of this proverb, the point of this proverb is not to encourage parents to hit their kids. And it certainly doesn't give parents an excuse to beat their kids and baptize it and, and act like God is on their side in that. That is not the point of this proverb. But it also does not condemn corporal punishment. And so we need to see that. And we'll come back to that. The point is, the point of the proverb, so we're going to start here. The point of the proverb, which is repeated several times throughout the proverbs, is you have to discipline your kids. You have to discipline your kids. And discipline is way more than punishment. Discipline is way more than punishment. Uh, Annie and I, as part of our training for foster care, have been going through something called trust-based relational intervention, TDRI, which is a means of, of dealing with children who come from hard places, children who have been through trauma, uh, addressing some of those unique issues. And so it's very disciplined. It's a lot of structure, but it's not a lot of punishment. There is punishment involved, and I, again, we'll come back to that, but, but it's a lot of structure, it's a lot of training your child, literally training their neurochemical pathways to respond, to, to, to flourish, right? And so it's a lot of discipline, it's a lot of discipling, but it's not a lot of punishment. Discipline is way more than punishment. But sometimes you do need to cause a little trouble in a child's life to spare him oceans of trouble in the future. You aren't helping a child by not giving him any boundaries or letting him blow through the boundaries that you do set up. In fact, the proverb says, if you don't discipline your child, you must hate them. If you don't establish boundaries for the child and hold them, you are actually going to hurt that child. As both a pastor and a former science teacher, as well as one who still believes deeply the medieval idea that there is no divide between God and science because all truth in some way reflects the beauty and glory of our Creator. 
the creator of creation. I find it very satisfying and honestly hilarious uh, whenever modern science spends billions of dollars and decades of research to know something that the Bible clearly teaches. Decades of research in the field of child psychology and neuroscience are yielding results right now that are essentially saying children without boundaries or regular discipline live life at very high levels of stress compared to children who have clear, enforced, regular boundaries and discipline. Uh, the researchers are measuring stress by the production of stress hormones, namely cortisol, and what they're finding is that through various experiences, when children are allowed to be in charge of the room, when children are allowed to be in charge of even just themselves, they get stressed, they get scared, because children innately know that they do not have the tools, they do not have the skills to be in charge of themselves. They do not have the ability to keep themselves safe when they're in charge of the home or to make good decisions, and they know that internally. They don't express it externally, but they know it internally. <laughs> they need the adults in their life to be in charge of them, and to be in charge of whatever situation comes up, because they know they're not up to that. Essentially, if you as a parent are not taking care of your child, your child feels like he or she's having to take care of himself. A complete lack of discipline is speaking from a point of child psychology, is a form of neglect. And the child's neurochemical development will be negatively affected by this. Which is the billion dollar, decades long way of saying what Proverbs has been saying all along in this proverb. That you have to discipline your kids. We as Christians especially should know that discipline is good and right. Our word disciple or the word discipline comes from the same root word as disciple. And, and the original meaning of that word is to pursue a rule. It's to have something, some plumb line to gauge the straightness, the, the righteousness of your life by. Like a monastic rule. There's a reason we call things like reading the Bible, praying, celebrating, fasting, we call them spiritual disciplines. Because the pursuit of discipline is something a Christian is meant to do lifelong, not just for their children, but for themselves. You are training your heart, you are shaping your spirit to know what is right and to walk in that way. You are pursuing a way of living life which will shape you spiritually to be more like Christ. Famously in Proverbs 22, Solomon writes, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you understand the language here, if you understand the imagery, you'll recognize the same concept between the proverb we're talking about this morning and this one. You are disciplining your child. You're teaching him a rule so that he will know right ways to live. And he'll walk down paths that lead to life and not to shale or death. Now, how do you discipline a child? What is the biblical prescription for changing your child's behavior. Man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> There's not one. Uh, every child is different. Every parent could tell you that. Every child is different. I'll say again, the point of this proverb isn't to encourage or excuse parents hitting their kids. I'll also say the Bible does not teach the corporal punishment is abuse. 
and frankly, to condemn parents who spank their kids and call them abusers is a damaging oversimplification. You are failing to make a distinction between abuse and discipline, and I say that as a parent of children who have been abused. To, to lighten it a little bit, I'm not trying to send Mr. Joshua's grandma to prison for getting that switch, right? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. And I say that jokingly only because, again, I, I have seen real abuse in my children's lives. And before they came to us, there was a big, there's, there's a big difference between spanking a child to where he's playing happily five minutes later and what they went through, which is unspeakable. And to compare the two, honestly, is to discount their very real suffering and the suffering of children like them. But again, there is no biblical prescription for parenting because every child is different. This passage is not teaching you you must spank your kids. It's teaching you that you must disciple and discipline your kids. My brother lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and um, one of his kids, I'll, I'll use Jane for the name, uh, one of his kids, she is sensitive in a beautiful way, and I love it, um, but her heart is just so soft and open to the world. And uh, especially when she was younger, if my brother needed to discipline her, he would do this. He would look at her in the eyes and say, Jane. Immediately, she would burst into tears, like, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. And I'm over here with my little boundary pushers, <laughs> having to threaten death in nuclear winter, right? Um, just to be taken seriously, like just to be heard in the first place. Like if I walked up to AJ and looked him in the eyes, and I was like, Andrew, he would look me in the eyes and say, Daddy, <laughs> you know, like, um, I, I have to tell myself over and over again, it's like, we do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> we do not negotiate with terrorists. Um, and God forbid if I leave the room, you know, it's, it's like a regime change. Lord of the flies immediately <laughs> springs out. Um, in my household, like, I have to hold my ground. Proverbs 13.1 says this, a wise son hears his father's instruction. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. I have a responsibility to teach my children to listen to me, to listen to correction, to listen to advice in order for them to live wisely and walk in these paths that lead to life and not to death. I have a responsibility as a parent. You have to discipline your kids. And circling back to what I called earlier the, the existential part of parenting, I'm going to offer you two good words from our passages this morning, uh, and I, I think they're going to be on the screen. Chapter 12, 25 says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Chapter 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. The first thing I want you to notice in both of these verses is that both are speaking again about the heart of a person, which in that day, again, uh, we talked about several times in the series, but that would have meant the, the deepest part of your emotion mixed with the deepest part of your thought, deepest part of your rationality. And the teaching was, the thought was, out of your heart, the rest of your life springs. So the task in parenting is to shape the heart of a person no big deal. To rid the heart of anxiety and heart sickness. To pour gladness and hope into the hearts of the people in your care. 
I want you to see too what he's saying causes heart sickness. This is so brilliant, what he's saying. He's saying hope deferred. Hope deferred is what causes heart sickness. Deferred means to, to draw or to drag out. And actually, it's a, it's a bit of a strange use of this word. If you look at this word as it's typically used, typically it is the word for drawing back a, a bow to fire it. Uh, but you can, you can see the picture, picture right? You, you can get the mental connection here. Drawing back a bow takes enormous strength, if you've ever done that. If you've ever tried to draw back a, a simple bow, it takes enormous strength, and you, can hold, you can't hold it back for long before your arm begins to shake and ache. So he's saying if hope is held for too long without fulfillment, your heart, like your bow arm, is going to begin to ache. Your heart is going to sicken. My mind in this uh, verse immediately went to Langston Hughes. He asks in his famous poem, what happens to a dream deferred? He says it dries up or it festers, or it explodes, or sometimes he says it drags like a heavy load. I've met a lot of people in ministry with hope and with dreams deferred. And Hughes and Solomon are right, you cannot defer hope for long without something snapping, without causing heart sickness. Ooh. My parenting, this is what I need forgiveness for. Seriously, Lord, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. I am quick to discipline my kids. But do I speak a good word to them? Do I help them fulfill their hopes? Do I release them from anxiety or do I cause it? Are their hearts filled with hope or are they filled with anxiety? I've seen a lot of parents waiting far too long in their relationships with their children waiting too long to call or too long to visit, waiting too long to tell them you love them or that you're proud of them or that regardless of what they've done, that you're with them. I've met adults with that kind of heart sickness, hoping for a good word from someone in authority over them to help heal their hearts. They've hoped for so long that their heart has become sick instead. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we know that something is right and we wait to act on it? We tell ourselves, I, I'm just not ready, you know, or I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Or next year, it's just not the right time, societally speaking. We think we can draw out, drag out, doing the next right thing, even as our arms tire and our hearts get sick. And before we know it, we're at the end of our lives saying, I regret. I did not do more there. I wish I had more time. But you were never guaranteed more time. You were never guaranteed tomorrow, even. You have right now. God speaks to us saying, today, when you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. But we want to keep that tension, unwilling to take a shot. More of my point for many of us today is this. I, I'd like to speak a word of hope this morning. I want you to realize that our God, our Father, is a good Father. People tend to think of our Father, God, as their Father's word to them. If 
if their fathers were abusive, we tend to think of God smiting people. If, if their father was overbearing, we tend to think of God as being this overbearing rules giver. If their father was loose, we tend to think of God as being okay with it, man, and let's just all get along, right? But our God is none of those things. Our God is a good father who is faithful to discipline his children, who is faithful to speak a good word, to well up joy in our hearts. And if he's speaking a word to you this morning, even if it's a word of discipline and conviction, it will be a good word to build you up, to root you like a tree by living streams of water. If he is forging in you some kind of hope, it will not be a hope deferred, but a hope that he will undoubtedly fulfill. If he has given you a dream, it will not be a dream that will long be deferred. His patience will not wait forever. He gives sure hope. And there is always hope in Jesus. I say this all the time here in this church. There is always hope in Jesus, and not hope that disappoints. I don't mean that in a vague, mystical sort of way, but in the sense that if, if you start following after him, in confession, and community, and worship, and discipline, that heart sickness of hope and dream lost or deferred, it begins to fade. The anxiety that you are experiencing has a stronghold, not that it will ever go away for good, but it has a stronghold. It has someone who is ever present in your life to speak a good word, to give you reason for hope. Our world is no longer just a world that's broken, it's a world that's being redeemed in Christ. As you follow him, you'll notice that even you are able to be redeemed, even me. Friends, we worship a God who is a good Father who loves us enough, enough to discipline and to disciple us, to offer us a rule by which we might live. And I pray that we would be a people who trust and obey our Father. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, thank you for being good to us. God, thank you for always speaking a good word to us. Lord, for not being overbearing, for not being overly harsh. God, for being a good father. God, I pray that we would trust you today. That even if we feel like there's no one on this earth that we can trust and we have to live our lives by ourselves, God, that we would learn day by day to trust you to trust the people that you have put in our lives to minister to us. Father God, may we, each of us, whether we are parents or not, learn good ways to raise up, to invest in those who come after us. God, because we are so brief and our lives are so short and fleeting in this world, God. And all we can do is to take part in your work and your building your kingdom, Lord, and then to, in eternity, glory in what you have done. God, please be with us today. Lord, please change us. Please let this truth set us free. Pray all this in Jesus' name, as we know you yours. Amen. Please respond in whatever way you feel appropriate. I'm going to be standing in the back if you want someone to pray with. Uh, we have the kneelers here at the front.
or alternately, <laughs> you can stay because we have an important conversation uh, related to the use of the building that we're going to have in approximately two minutes because we need to have it quickly because my wife and I need to drive to Memphis today with four children. So two minutes, thank you. If someone can go get the kids workers upstairs.